Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to the latest podcast on more sports. Now I'm joined by John McAlevey as we turn our eyes to the NFL draft. And it takes place this Thursday. Well, at least the first round does in Cleveland. And the rest of the draft will conclude through Friday and Saturday. And John, I know this is an important day for you and a day where you are glued on Thursday night to the television to see who goes in the first round. And then, of course, you'll follow it the rest of the way as well. Absolutely. And I'm sick of these mock drafts. I want to get the <laughs> real one going here. I can't read enough of them. Uh, you start to fall in love with certain prospects, even though some of them I haven't even really seen play to tell you the truth. But uh, yeah, the NFL has really made uh, a lot of intrigue around this. It's uh, they build things up. And uh, so I'm just eager to, uh, to get the picks and let's get on with this thing. Well, we have been privileged in the past to have join us not only on a pre-draft show, but also during the course of the season, the fine writer for the New York Daily News, Pat Leonard, whose insights are always terrific. He gives you great information. He is a must follow and hopefully all our listeners read him in the New York Daily News. We're very pleased to welcome Pat Leonard to the show before we bring him on for a discussion about this upcoming draft, what the Jets and Giants might do, what to look for around the league. Let's take a short time out as we welcome our sponsor, LG Insurance. The big insurance companies barrage you with endless commercials and then have operators on standby, who knows where, ready to push you through the process. At LG Insurance, we'd like to get to know you, find out what your needs are, answer all your questions, earn your trust, no rush here. We'll take all the time you need. And we still have backing from all the big guys. So we'll get you a great rate too. LG Insurance. Local feel. National backing. Always a pleasure to have Pat Leonard join us. He's been a good friend of the show. And we've known Pat for a long time. Good to hear from you, Pat. Uh, this is your busiest time or is it just a different time as compared to cover the day in and day out machinations of the NFL? Hey, Matt and John. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Draft time is among the busier times of the year, different in the, from the season in that, obviously, especially now where we're all virtual, it's few, it's less boots on the ground work and it's more working the phones, reading between the lines, running into, of course, a lot of the clubs and teams and scouts and coaches and GMs and, even, you know, and, you know are, are tightening up. You know, they're not talking. They don't want to tip their hand. So, who are you able to get on the phone? Who are you able to find? Where are you able to find nuggets? Uh, what are agents saying? How much do they know, et cetera? So there's a lot that you need to, sometimes something trickles out, but a lot of times you really need to uh, squeeze the juice that's there and you need to find where it exists. And so uh, different kind of work, but a ton of work at this time of year to try and narrow down who these teams are going to pick because, uh, you know, the draft is so important to the roster building process. And also, as you guys know, fans just latch on to every single pick and nugget of information that comes up nowadays in the March and April lead up to this coming out of free agency. So there's a huge appetite for this information, which means that somebody like me 
I'm spending night and day trying to get those nuggets to deliver that to the fans. Well, understandably so. So what we'll do here is we'll just alternate back and forth. But I want to start off by asking a little something about this year's draft. How different do you think it is? What are you being told by scouts and GMs and coaches, et cetera, given the fact that we're still in the COVID pandemic. It really affected college football. Some players opted out, et cetera. What's the impact of the situation we find ourselves in going to be on this year's draft? It's dramatic. Anybody who tells you otherwise is either not talking to enough people or just not aware really of how steep the difference is between this draft process and previous years. I would say there's three major areas that turn this draft into something different than it's been in the past. One is the opt-outs. There are players in this draft who are extremely talented, but who haven't played football in either a year or 18 months or two years, depending on injuries and what their individual situation is. There are even players who played the first half of the 2020 season and then opted out mid year. And so a lack of football played recently, even if you like the player and the prospect, can really influence where you take them because these picks, especially at the top of the draft, it's a risk-reward equation. And as we know, plenty of teams take guys they think are hits and they're going to be misses. And so adding even more uncertainty to that with the opt-outs is significant. And we have a lot of opt-outs actually at the top of the draft. Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, Rayshon Slater. You know, even Trey Lance, a guy who hasn't played a lot of football in a long time, a quarterback from North Dakota State. So all of these teams have to make decisions about these guys with that extra uncertainty. The second thing is the quality of the draft class itself. Frankly, the talent pool this year, teams are disappointed in. Uh, I know Scott Fitterer, the Panthers GM, I think he said they have 16 players with first round grades. That's only half of the 32 picks that are going to go in that in that. Uh, first round. I know I've talked to teams who have similar numbers, even fewer numbers than that. Uh, that's going to dictate how the draft happens, whether teams feel comfortable trading out or not. There might be, not be a player they see even worse than number 20 overall pick. That's certainly a factor. Uh, like, for example, just the defensive tackle class teams believe is putrid, you know, and not a, not a knock on any of these kids individually, but just talking about top to bottom talent. There's just not a ton of talent that they feel can make a difference on these rosters. And so you're going to see a lot of teams, especially in the back of the first round and throughout the draft, trying to trade out, trade back, and acquire more picks for the 2022 draft. And part of the reason they're going to want those picks is the third and final point I would make is the absence of in-person scouting. Chris Pettit, the Giants director of college scouting, talked about this last week in the lead up to the draft. They've been able to do a lot of their normal scouting process, evaluating tape. They've even gotten to the pro days, but they haven't had enough in-person time with these guys. And that's not just they haven't been able to host them at their facilities. It's also even if they were able to pull them aside at these pro days, they got limited amount of time. Thankfully, there were some showcase games like the Senior Bowl where they did get in front of them in person. You're going to see that probably have a large impact on how comfortable a team feels with players probably going to see a ton of senior bowl guys taken or just more certainty around those prospects, but they don't have that. They can't reach out and touch them. As Dave Gentleman says, they had five zoom interviews allowed per player with these prospects. 
but you guys know, you know, you can, you can only replicate the in-person aspect of the scouting process so much. And so that scares teams, frankly, especially guys with uh, character flags or uh, something that you want to see in person that you can't see enough on tape. And I would add that that is why it's significant, gentlemen. When we looked at these pro days televised nationally, it was significant when a coach or a GM took his time to go somewhere in person, even more so than in previous years, because it meant that he was doing the extra homework and going out of his way to get in person with guys that he needed that extra evaluation on. That could be like in the Giants case, for example, Joe Judge only went to two in person. He went to Penn State, where Micah Parsons and Jason Oa were the, the headliners, and he went to Miami, where Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau, the pass rushers, were. Now, Phillips and Parsons are both players who have some of those flags off the field. Parsons, some immaturity. Phillips with he's quit football before the injuries. His football really is passion. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the coach or the GM is there and they're drafting him, but it does reflect that they really needed to go above and beyond to acquire the information they need to really make an informed decision on these guys. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's, that's a lot to really take into account. So, so in some ways, some of these GMs might have uh, an excuse as to why maybe the guy that they picked isn't so good. They could say, Hey, we really didn't get our hands on this guy. And so, um, I can see some guys falling back on that, but before we dive headlong into, uh, the giants and what they are going to do, let's start at the top. I think pretty much it's a foregone conclusion that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will be the first two players off the board. Um, and then at number three, do we really think that the San Francisco 49ers moved heaven and earth to move up to number three to take Mac Jones? I mean, is that going to be the decision at three? And if not, does Justin Fields work his way in there? How about Trey Lance, who, as you said, has played, you know, very little football over the last couple of years, or, or do they um, pull a stunner? I've seen in a couple of places where maybe Kyle Pitts is the choice at number three. Um, take your, uh, take your hat on now and your NFL 49ers hat and, and make that decision at number three. I, right now, I think they're taking Mac Jones. I know Trey Lance is somebody they're considering too. They could surprise everybody, like you said, and go fields or pits. Uh, my best information from people, and again, the Niners, like a lot of teams, are being very tight-lipped, so nobody knows for sure. But if you're asking me, I think they take Mac Jones. The reason, the primary reason, not only they like the player, I think that the idea that they would keep Jimmy Gar Garoppolo around, I think is nonsense. I think they made this trade up because Kyle Shanahan is tired of Garoppolo getting hurt. He's not getting the job done for them. They were there in the Super Bowl. He missed a big throw down the field to Emmanuel Sanders. I think Mac Jones is the guy at three who he feels that is not only uh, the best prospect there, but also is the most ready to plug in. And I think they'll trade Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo playing the game for the Niners this year. So that's my primary uh, answer there. The only thing I would say about the top two picks, I totally agree with you on Lawrence and Zach Wilson. This is a point I would just raise, and I'm not saying Wilson's going to be a bust. Mm -hmm. I just find it very interesting. When is the last time a quarterback was a sure thing as the number two pick? Like, undeniable, everyone agrees, you have to take him, you can't take anyone above him. Yeah. But he didn't challenge the number one quarterback. I think mm -hmm. that's 
very unusual to me. Again, I'm not saying it means he's a bust. I would just say that if a guy is good enough to be the lock at number two, he should be good enough to challenge the number one pick, but we'll see. We'll see. And and the fact that the Jets, you know, had that, they could be the uh, the destination for Trevor Lawrence. If, you know, listen, you don't want to go out and lose, but you were looking at uh, the next Olive, uh, uh uh, uh, Andrew Luck, you know, they talk about this guy like he's going to be uh, fitted for the golden jacket as he's walking across the floor to, to shake hands with the commissioner. So, <laughs> you know, the fact that they had him and let him slide through their fingers, it will be interesting to see uh, with Wilson. And uh, so that's, that's what right. you think. You think Jones, um, you know, I've seen more people say he's not the most athletic guy in the world. He doesn't have the new catch word I think is twitchy. He's not twitchy enough. I hear these guys talk about that all the time in the NFL network. But he, and he did have an embarrassment of riches to throw to down in Alabama with a great offensive line, but he makes all the throws. And then somebody said, Hey, listen, Tom Brady's not the most athletic and twitchy guy. And Drew Brees is not in, in that mold either. So that they, a lot of people do see Jones as uh, as the safe bet to go at that position. So I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Yeah, they like his accuracy and they like his pocket movement, his presence. I agree with you. I, you know, one thing I think this isn't scientific at all, but mm. you know, Devonte Smith winning the Heisman Trophy. You know, usually if a team throws the ball really well and scores through the air, it's like ninety-nine percent of the time the MVP has to be the quarterback. He's the guy who delivers the ball to everybody. He's the one responsible for all the points, no matter who's catching it. I think the fact that Smith got, you know, wins the award over the guy throwing all these passes to him, you know, I think is reflective, in my opinion, of who the most special player on that offense was and the fact that it wasn't the QB. Yep. Well, it, it appears that Joe Douglas has other thoughts and we'll see whether or not he's playing it coy, but it does appear as if the Jets are going to go with Zach Wilson in your latest mock draft. And I think it's your third version. You had four quarterbacks going in the first four picks with uh, Trevor Lawrence first and Zach Wilson second, Mac Jones third and Trey Lance going fourth. No Justin Fields. What has happened to this guy from the end of the Ohio State season when he barely threw an interception? He was as accurate as could be, strong arm guy, and he has dropped. I mean, he won't drop out of the first round, I don't think. You never know no. as the draft goes on. But what happened to this guy? That's a great question, Matt. I, and I, honestly, I'm not saying I would take Mac at, at Matt Jones at three over Fields. I mean, I would not do that. But that's just what I think the Niners will do. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, at a, with Atlanta's pick at four, I, I know you didn't ask me about that specifically, but they could take Justin Fields. You know, I, I still expect Justin Fields to go in the top 10. Uh, you know, and I think that whether it's somebody trading up to another pick or whether it's Lana taking him at four, I still think he'll go there. Um, I, to be honest with you, I think that people overthink this evaluation process. I'm actually doing a story this week on why do so many people overthink and get the quarterback position wrong at the top of the first round? Because it just, it seems like it happens all the time for various reasons with different players. I agree with you too. You know, I think people are looking at, you look at a guy throwing six touchdown passes against Clemson or playing through his, uh, this, the, the injury, the rib injury, whatever that, you know, whatever that was and gutting it out. You see toughness, you see athleticism, you see moxie and you see what all these coaches love, which is upside. The fact that he can get better. So 
you know, you can't knock the character. I know people have mentioned, you know, it's been mentioned in the media, this idea that he's not the first guy in, last guy out. But I'll just say this to you guys. I haven't like tweeted this or written this or anything, but, and I'm not, I'm not mocking anybody's physique, but when Mac Jones stands there with his shirt off and Justin Fields takes his shirt off and stands there, <laughs> you're going to tell me Justin Fields is the one of those two who doesn't work hard enough. Um, so, you know, I would say that when I look at him as a prospect and I look at him at his, as how he's worked at his craft on his body, at the work that he's put in, I really think it is unfair to suggest that he would not be worth a high pick in the, this draft in the quarterback treatment league. So what's happened to him? I think some teams have gone crazy and they're going to regret it. That's what I think's happened. How about the whole epilepsy thing? I know he came out with that. Is that something that was, uh, was well known, uh, beforehand or did that, is that something that just surfaced within the last couple of weeks? That was just three or four days prior to us talking right now. Yeah. I, I have to be honest with you. I still don't know why that came out. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it certainly wasn't portrayed as any knock. It was just this idea that, listen, it, it almost, maybe it was, maybe it was him and his team trying to head off that if it came out and that one of the evaluations revealed this, them yeah. just heading off that, listen, this is not an issue at all. Yeah. Uh, I did think that was a little strange that it came out. I have not heard from anybody that that was an issue since that was even reported. So I, mm-hmm. I do not consider that uh, uh, linked to any reason why a team would not take it. Yeah. Pat, as we know, drafts are really fluid. Uh, so teams have to be nimble and be able to adjust because somebody that you think might not be there will be there. Um, and so you kind of have to move yourself on, on the fly. Uh, that said, can you rank for us as far as the New York football giants are concerned position, which position do they really want to see their top guy on the board still available at number 11? What's the one that they need to really fill that they're not going to, you know, try and shoehorn somebody in that's out of the blue receiver. But what I love about the giants position in this draft is that you know the be- the best play when when teams say they're going to take the best player available. Some people sometimes you just roll your eyes because it sounds like such a cliche, and a lot of times it's just the best player available at positions they need. But in the Giants' case here, they can really and would be comfortable going receiver on offense, corner on defense, linebacker or pass rusher on defense at eleven, and getting a player that they feel can contribute right away and be worth the number eleven pick. Um, you know so. Those are the positions I would tell you, you know, receiver, corner, uh, linebacker slash pass rusher. I don't think they're going to address offensive line there. I think part of the reason is that the top two will be gone already anyway, Sewell and Rayshon Slater. Um, If one of them unexpectedly falls to 11, perhaps that changes the equation. Yeah. Uh, But I don't see the board falling that way. So I, you know, the, the positions I listed to you is, is my answer. Yeah. And I know that, um, you know, they brought in Kenny Galladay. He's a big receiver and, and that's going to really help Daniel Jones out. And then we've, we've mentioned uh, Devonte Smith already. Um, but uh, Jalen Waddle could be on the board. Do you think, have they tipped their hand as to which one of those two they would prefer? 
Um, and if they do go with a receiver at that spot, then listen, all eyes now turn to Danny Dimes and, and say, hey, pal, in year three, this is on you. You, you now have an embarrassment of riches. So um, how about throwing the ball to uh, the same color jersey you're wearing next year? <laughs> right, exactly. Right? No, and I, you're, hit, you're hitting the nail right on the head, which is, yes, they signed Kenny Galladay, but just because they addressed receiver already in free agency, if you're really prioritizing Daniel Jones, your offense, scoring points finally like a modern offense, and giving this quarterback every chance to succeed and show he's the guy, you know, maybe you quote unquote need a different position or whatever, but taking a receiver is the way that you do all those things for Daniel Jones and in Jason Garrett's offense. And look, as far as Devontae Smith versus Jalen Waddle, both of these guys are explosive. I think, you know, at least when I talk to people around the league, I'm not just talking about the Giants, but teams, you know, other teams too they all love both of these players. You know, there are a handful of people who might say, who you talk to who say they're concerned about Devontae Smith getting off the line, but by and large, these are two players. I don't think a lot of evaluators are overthinking. Um, you know, I think the way the board is going to fall, in my opinion, one of these players is going to get taken ahead of the giants and one of them might be available. Mm-hmm. And I think my best answer to you is, I think they would take either guy at 11 if he were there because he is so special. And they have different players, different traits. But I, I would consider either player in the mix for them at 11 if he's there, along with the other positions I mentioned, simply because they would both help them and they both have traits that the Giants, other skilled players don't have. He's Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. I hope you're enjoying his insights to the draft. We have more with Pat after this brief timeout. The big insurance companies barrage you with endless commercials and then have operators on standby, who knows where, ready to push you through the process. At LG Insurance, we'd like to get to know you, find out what your needs are, answer all your questions, earn your trust. No rush here. We'll take all the time you need. And we still have backing from all the big guys. So we'll get you a great rate, too. LG Insurance. Local feel. National backing. I want to move to the uh, other team in the New York area. And I don't say that in a negative way. But let's talk a little bit about the Jets, who have two first-round picks. They have six picks in the first four rounds, 10 overall, and maybe in a draft year where the talent evaluators think it's not a deep pool, that might not be a bonus. But... You know, Joe Douglas has said, look, you you get starters in those first three rounds. And so, yes, Thursday night will be important. But as the draft goes on, the picks they make will be equally important as uh, they try to, well, just rebuild uh, from the ashes. That's for sure. So what do they do with that second first round pick, do you think? Uh, Do they keep it in play for themselves? Do they hope that someone else is sitting there and they get itchy feet and say, there's a guy we really like and he slipped and we love him and let's make a move? Uh, do the Jets just say, look, this is full-on rebuild. That's the way it is when you haven't been in the playoffs for 10 years and you're 2-14. and 14, We got a new coach, all that sort of stuff, and they just pick whatever's available uh, throughout this draft. Yeah, the, the two names that ring loudest in my ears with the Jets there are Greg Newsom from Northwestern, the corner, 
and Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State, two positions that they need players, they could use players, and they like both of those two players. They need everything, let's be honest. I mean, just about everything. Let, let's be honest. No, well said, well said. <laughs> if there's a long snapper available in the sixth round, they might take uh, him too, just because they need everything, it seems. Right, right. Yeah, even a guy like Michigan's Quiddy Pay, who I don't think is going to last to their pick, but, you know, a player like that who can get to the quarterback, whatever, you know, I – I could see him um, also that kind of player being a target too. Look, you know, I like what you said though in the question about them possibly charging up to get a player if they see him falling. This goes back to what I was telling you about what teams think of not only this draft class but the first round. If the Jets, like the Panthers, like some other teams I've talked to, if they see this as being a first round that only has anywhere from 15 to 18 first round worthy guys. Not every team has the draft capital that the Jets have to go up three, four, or five picks if they need to to get a player. You know, because if they if they feel like, well, if all these guys come off the board, we're better off trading back out of twenty three, then they might see somebody they like and move up to sixteen or seventeen or whatever it is for that guy. So you know, you, it's easy for people to discuss trading up or trading down with any team with any pick. But not every team has the capital to do it and the assets to do it. The Jets are one of those teams. They have a ton of picks at their disposal this year and next year where they have the flexibility to do that if they wish. And so I I would count them among the leading contenders as a possibility moving up in that area of the draft simply because of what they have at their disposal in their pocket to use to do it. John, I just want to, John, I'm sorry. I just want to jump in here and just do a follow up question with Pat on the Jets, because as you addressed some of your concerns over Zach Wilson, if he's not challenging for number one, how is he the overwhelming number two choice? But that seems the way the Jets are certainly trending. So they've got this, I would say, maybe unusual pick that they're going to make it to if they go with Wilson. With a first-year coach in New York who's a defensive guy in Robert Salah, is is this like oil and water mixing here? I'm just wondering that if there's some sort of potential disaster here, or is Salah just like, hey, I'm happy to be a head coach. I'm going to develop this team in our image, Douglas's and his, and you know what? We'll, we'll go, we got a quarterback here. We'll make it work. Right. No, I think it, I think it reflects that. Robert, like Robert Sala knows what his expertise is and what it is. And every head coach and every coach knows what they're good at and maybe how to delegate something else. And I think taking the quarterback here is falling in love with the player through the evaluation process as a front office and coaching staff. And then also Sala recognizing what it takes to build a winning team and not just what it takes to improve his own defense, which is his baby. And, um, you know, I I would have made the argument prior to the Sam Darnold trade that, that you, you could get a ransom for the number two pick and slide back a few choices, get a ton more ammo and try and give Darnold a chance with more weapons and a better line. I would have been fine with that. I think that might have even been the move. But this is true every year. If you love a quarterback, if, if you look at a guy and you are 100 percent sure that you would make this pick 10 out of 10 times at number two then you do it because if you think he's a franchise QB, that's what matters most. And, you know, Mike, Mike LaFleur is a factor here. You know, the offensive coordinator comes from San Francisco. Uh, I know I, and a lot of other people believe, I think the jets thought maybe 
Darnold would end up being a really good fit in what LaFleur brought from the Shanahan offense in San Fran. Um, but, you know, I think that's somebody who Salah um, knows very well, is close with from their time in San Fran, known each other a long time. And, um, you know, he's certainly also leaning on not only the opinion of Joe Douglas, uh, but also the opinion of his offensive coordinator, who he has hired really to install a system that LaFleur knows in and out and to be the Jets version of, of Kyle Shanahan, so to speak, on the offensive end. Pat, to quote the great Al Davis, the other quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. <laughs> I can't do it in his, his Brooklyn, New York uh, accent, but uh, that was something that the Giants had trouble with last year. Uh, at times they needed uh, GPS to find the opposing quarterback. Um, yes. We know that Leonard Williams led them with 11 and a half sacks. And then you, the next, the next two uh, sack leaders, Dexter Lawrence and Kyler Fackrell had four. Um, and, and knowing that the Giants are building a, a really good secondary, uh, they brought in the Dory Jackson now to go along with James Bradbury. They've got some good safeties and peppers and Ryan and McKinney. And so that's looking pretty good. Will, will that sort of maybe force their hand? I know you mentioned the name Quiddy pay earlier. Is that going to come into, um, you know, site at, at 11 that they might want to, um, not force a defensive end. I know in your latest mock, you had them taking Jalen Phillips, but yeah. getting to the quarterback. I mean, you can't win in the NFL if you can't at least pressure the opposing quarterback more often than not, which has been a, a trouble spot for, uh, for the giants. So is that something that's weighing heavy on their minds as well? Certainly. That is certainly a position. Uh, I would say this, they're going to take somebody who rushes the passer in this draft. Uh, whether it's at 11, it could be, it might not be. They're going to take someone who rushes the passer in this draft for all the reasons you just articulated. What you saw watching the Giants last season and for the last several years and what they need there, you are right. You know, we should let you make the pick, honestly, because that, that, was, uh, that was exactly on the dot. The reason I mocked Jalen Phillips there to the Giants was because, listen, what I know now what from talking to teams around the league, I can tell you at this moment, I do not expect Jalen Phillips to be selected in the top of the first round. However, he is a top five talent. He is, you know, if you turn on his tape, I mean, his hand, he's got strong hands. He's tossing linemen um, off their spot and blasting into the backfield to stop the run. He's chasing running backs down 20 yards down the field, terrorizing the quarterback. So he would be, if the Giants felt comfortable with, and not just the Giants, but any of these teams in the top 10, if they felt comfortable with Jalen Phillips' off-field history, and that is three diagnosed concussions that led him to retire in 2018 when he was at UCLA, other injuries, including uh, multiple wrist surgeries a few years ago after an accident, and also the idea that, and I know Dane Brugler mentioned this in his uh monster beast scouting report, but NFL scouts saying that football is not his number one passion. Music is, uh. and he is, he is, you know, he's passionate about music. He actually, when he quit football, I believe he was taking some music classes at a local community college before he decided to give football another try. So long story short, you know, the giants and other teams would have to be comfortable with those things and believe this guy's in it for the long haul and feel comfortable with the medical to take him. 
And so if they did, and we'll find out on Jeff night what all these teams think, but if they felt comfortable with that, he's the kind of player who would make a hundred percent sense for them and for a lot of other, these other teams. Um, if, you know, if they don't feel comfortable with that. And like I said, you know, I, I doubt that he's going to go in the top half of the first round, but he pays another guy to watch. Um, that's a clean prospect, a guy who's more like what you see, what you get. And when you guys and I were talking earlier about, um, about the idea of how different this scouting process is athletes like pay who played in 2020 and played well, and also clean medical and character evaluations Mm. are going to go very high in this draft because there's so much uncertainty with other guys. Plus it's just fun. Plus it's just fun to say quitty pay, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And uh, Patrick Sertain is another, another player that I would mention in that vein, you know, just like, you know what he is as a player, you know what he is as a person played at an elite level. Let's take him kind of thing. Um, And this is cool too. I think your listeners like this stat too. Um, The, so typically pass rushers go very high in the draft. This is expected to be, if the draft board falls the way you guys and I think it's going to, this is going to be the first draft in nine years that a pass rusher doesn't get picked in the top five. And it's going to be the second draft in nine years that a pass rusher gets, doesn't get picked in the top three. So that goes to show you the dearth of talent at some of these positions. And it also points out just how risky Phillips is, even though he's the most talented of the bunch. Wow. Yeah. Interesting note there, Pat, for sure. Uh, One last one from me before uh, I hand it over to John and we start to wrap things up here. And thanks again for your time in this busy period. Really appreciate your insights as always. By the way, just a side note, when I was reading a little bit about Jalen Phillips and, and that music connection, you know who I thought about, and I'm showing my age, but I don't know if you guys remember uh, defensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals, Mike Reed. He, he he played about five years in the league. He was a pro bowler back in the 70s. Now, I was just a pup. Listen, I'm not that old. But he, <laughs> he was a guy who loved music as well. And he wound up retiring after, I don't know, five, six years in the league and, you know, has become a very noteworthy and successful singer, songwriter. Uh, anyway. So maybe uh-huh. I could see why some players would say or, or GMs who remember that and say, wait, a minute, that was only five years he played, but he was a pro bowler. So we got a good five <laughs> years out of him before he. Anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> multiple interests shouldn't dissuade uh, someone from picking a player if they think he's got the talent. That being said, I'm right. not going to be in that seat. So my last question, Pat, as I uh, ramble on about the music football connections is. Is there a surprise out there? As we move through the first round into the weekend, is there anybody moving up? Is there any team making some noise that at this point, as we record this show on a Monday morning, you tell our listeners, keep an eye on this. What should we look for? Well, I think Phillips is the most interesting process prospect to me because I think somebody is going to take him and take the risk on what they think is the best pass rusher here. Um, I do think that a sixth quarterback is going to go in the first round. I don't know. Maybe Kyle Trask from Florida could be the guy. Um, I think there's so much focus on the top five in the top 10. I think, um, you know, I think you have to look for that. Maybe it's somebody else, but 
Trask is a guy I wouldn't be surprised gets taken in the back of the first. Um, yeah, let me think. Landon Dickerson, Alabama, a player who has a ton of injury history, but teams love him. Uh, the Alabama the Alabama connection is going to be strong in the first round again. Christian Barmore is a player who's going higher than people think. Um, I, I wanted to jam in. When we talked pass rush in our last question, too, Micah Parsons, even though he's an inside linebacker, when we're talking Giants at 11, and we're also talking the draft in general, even though he's an interior linebacker, he has pass rush ability. So when we mention the Giants at 11 and whether they take a pass rusher, don't just look at Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, and these guys. Micah Parsons, if they take him at 11, that would be a pass rush pick as much as it's a defensive pick because of his ability rushing. Um, and then as far as other surprises, you know, this might be the year finally that the Packers give Aaron Rodgers a first round uh, wide receiver in the back end of the first Elijah Moore from Ole Miss is a guy who's really, his name has really gotten hot. And Najee Harris is a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of a, it's kind of uncertain here how high he'll go, but could Miami take him? Uh, with their second pick in the first round, he's a player who, you know, in a in a draft without a lot of certainty, um, a lot of teams like. And then another pass rusher, I would say, who people aren't talking about enough, who is going to go higher than they think, is Joe Tryon from Washington, um, a dude who looks like an absolute statue when he's standing on the field. Um, one of those people you know, makes you do a double take when you're walking across the quad, you know, when you're in college, um, he's a guy who's going to go much higher than people realize as well. That last one for me is the new England Patriots are in, um, you know, a crazy time right now. They, they have been used to, um, hoisting the Super Bowl trophy each year, just to sort of stay in shape. They, they lift that over their head. Um, and now, their quarterback is gone. Tom Brady's gone. He's in Tampa and he is hoisting the trophy again. Yeah. How did that and, work out? Right. And so, you know, Cam is not the answer. It doesn't seem. Um, and so it's sitting at 15. They, they had a very aggressive free agency period, bringing in a couple of tight ends. They went after a lot of different folks. And now people are saying that maybe Bill Belichick, um, is is going to look to perhaps even he might move up. Um, so if, if someone like a Justin Fields starts to slide, um, you see the, the Patriots getting aggressive. That's question number one. And then question number two, how about uh, some Golden Domers? I know they're close uh, to your heart. Other than Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, do you see any more uh, Notre Damers getting chosen and chosen highly this year? I think Liam Eichenberg, uh, the left tackle who could play tackle or guard when he jumps to the league, I think he could get taken in the first round. A little bit unpredictable in the back of the first there, but I do think that teams like him a lot. They view him as versatile. They view him as rock solid, something that's a predictable skill set to project to the pro level. So if Notre Dame has a second first rounder, I think you're going to see Eichenberg go. Um, you know, the Patriots, as far as trading up, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Uh, right. I think it helps. You know, one thing, one thing I've heard, the Lions apparently really want to trade back out of the seventh pick if they can get a good price. And I think that any interest or reported interest or rumor that the Patriots are coming up 
maybe helps their market for that pick. That could be partially why you're still hearing that. I guess it's possible the Patriots could surprise everybody and do it. I still think it's more likely they do not trade up. Maybe if a guy falls, they take one. Uh, but, you know, do they stay in the veteran market? If the Niners trade Jimmy Garoppolo, does he go back to New England uh, with Belichick, who traded him originally to San Fran for a second? That could be something to watch. Um, you know, I think it's more likely that the Patriots at that pick in the middle of the first, you know, the group of Pay, Owusu Kuromoa. I don't know if Zayvon Collins is going to go as high as the mid-teens. Uh, Jamin Davis, the Kentucky linebacker, those are all players. Um, yep. Maybe even a Joe Tryon. Um, but those are all guys to watch for them. Well, Pat, uh, as Ian Hunter in his album from the 70s, as I show my age once again, entitled nice. You're Never Alone with a Schizophrenic. He had a song, <laughs> Cleveland Rocks, and it will be rocking this week, Thursday through Saturday with the NFL Draft. And Pat, your information rocks as well. Thanks so much for giving us so much of your time. Great information. Looking forward to your reporting the rest of this week and then through the draft as uh, it's an exciting time for NFL fans. Thanks so much. You got it. This is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, let's let's unpack what they did here and what the 2021 20, season is going to look like uh, down the road here. Perfect. Pat, thanks. Absolutely. Thank you, Pat. John, one of the many things I love about having Pat on the show is this. He doesn't give you one word answers. He gives you depth. You can see he's done his work. And that's certainly not unexpected. He's a premier writer working for a premier publication. But I love it because when you're done speaking with him, you really have an idea of what these teams are thinking and what might transpire. He really does have it covered on all angles. And you can see that he puts the work in his different mock drafts. You can see that things have shifted in some respects, which means he's getting information from some other people um, as to which way teams are going and what the thinking would be. So that means he's making his phone calls and he's uh, digging in where, where he should be. And so um, following his final mock draft is, is really a good thing for folks who are interested, not only in the giants, what they might do and the jets, but, uh, but the rest of the league, because he really is plugged in. I know that you bleed giant blue. What are you looking forward to in this draft? Well, you know, Matt, the Giants only scored 18 points a game last year, which is laughable in a league that offense has really become um, the go-to and it, it really become the norm where teams are putting up, you know, fantasy football points. And so I know they brought in Kenny Galladay in the offseason. I was very happy to see that, the big wide receiver. I'm hoping that one of the two Alabama wideouts is going to fall to them. Uh, it would be great to put another Heisman Trophy winner in a huddle um, along with Saquon Barkley. Um, if Devontae Smith falls or Jalen Waddell, I know a lot of people think that you know he could be uh, the next real, you know, ultimate weapon where you can run the jet sweeps with him and send him deep. And so at, then at that point, if you do bring in someone like that, all eyes really do turn to, uh, to Daniel Jones, because they're going to tell him, all right, you went from having nothing to a kitchen full of, of goodies for you to, uh, at your disposal. So now it's time to uh, to really step up. And then at that point, you hold your breath that the offensive line is is going to do their job. They gave him some time to 
to uh, get the ball out to these wideouts. So that would be my pick if if I could get a wide receiver. If not, I'd really like to see one of the tackles. I know Sewell will not be there, but Slater could be a guy. And then you really build up front where you hope Andrew Thomas takes the leap in, in year two. Um, Matt Peart, the, the pick from Connecticut, hopefully he's going to uh, start to uh, show some dividends. And then maybe you could plug a Slater up in the middle. And then you really have an offensive line with with to work with. So those would be the areas that I'm looking. Well, we will see what Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the Giants, and uh, his team of experts do. We'll watch, of course, to see what Jets general manager Joe Douglas does, and our eyes will be on the rest of the league as well. The NFL draft is an awesome experience, and it will be a lot of fun to see who gets picked, whose dreams are realized, whose hearts are broken, and then what the future holds for these young men who are being drafted into the National Football League. Special thanks again to Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News for joining us on this show, and thank you to our listeners for your company. For John McAlevey, I'm Matt Laughlin. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. 